Well, good evening. Welcome. Welcome to our midweek service on Wednesday night. First thing I'd like to do is ask our ushers to come forward. Uh, one, of the, one of the elements of worship, we believe, is, is to be, have an understanding that we're stewards of everything that, that we possess, and so we give the first of that to God. So for Timberline family, we know what that means. That's our tithes and our offering. If you're a guest, we, we, we don't ask you to give, but um, ushers, you can go ahead and, and pass those. Thanks for your faithfulness, uh, Timberline, to giving to impact locally as well as around the world. Well, um, this is something a little different uh, than we have done in probably about six months. Um, I've asked some old friends, and I, I don't just mean that in your age. But some of us um, older than others. <laughs> Already it's not starting well. <laughs> How many of you were, were around um, the past really couple years when we, we were in kind of a teen teaching dynamic on a, on a more regular basis? And, and this is a... That, that was for you. That we, was have, for you. we have three fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is just a fun opportunity. We thought we would kind of pull back together yeah. and, and approach, the, uh, approach the text tonight in this series where we're at in, in kind of our old team format, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. So thank yeah. you guys for being here. This is a lot of fun We're for excited us. to. Um, if you've been with us here the past uh, couple weeks, you know that we, we just started a five-week Easter series in which we're walking through, there's this section that if, if the Bible is a mountain range, um, some would suggest this might be the highest peak. In Philippians chapter 2, there's this fantastic, it's, it's really distilled, but it's also powerful and poetic, this passage about the Christ story is kind of what we've been calling it. Um, and it kind of walks through this whole idea of um, he was incarnate. You know, he, used, he, he pre-existed Jesus before his earthly existence, but he, he became enfleshed, and that's what we looked at last week, what we call the incarnation, or the enfleshment of the second person of the Trinity. And the rest of the story that we'll look at tonight, the, the crucifixion, and then as the next couple weeks, the resurrection, and then the, that final place, what we might call glorification, new creation in this, in this story here. Before we do that, I want to just uh, mention one thing to you. We've got two images that, that are going to be put up on the screen. Um, one thing that we thought would be kind of fun in this series is each week as we talk about these component parts, as, as you guys are having questions specifically, but even thoughts, um, would love for you to make this a dialogue. And so one way that, that we have to do that is, if you remember, I don't know, four months ago or so, we, we rolled out the Engage online tool, and uh, if, if you have an Engage uh, profile, you know this is kind of the home screen, and that app that the arrow is pointing to where it says groups, if you click on that, it'll take you to the next screen here, and, and then you can search for the Wednesday night group, which is us right here, and in that, when you click on discussions, you can post a question there, post a thought, and we can all interact back and forth, it's kind of like a, what do they call that, a... a message board sort of thing. Or, um, so would love to have any thoughts you have there. And then next week, and each week, would like just take even the first couple minutes and kind of bat those questions around a little bit. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's where we'd like to go with it. So, so our text for tonight is uh, Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles and want to open up to there. We're going to be reading the, the whole text of verses 3 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. All right. Well... This, this is one of those passages that 
like a lot of passages in scripture that cut right to the quick, I think, yeah. of, you know, truth cuts to the heart of who we are, and it, it, the scripture confronts us, and this is, a, this is a, a challenging, confronting passage of scripture, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, and so let's, let's read it, follow along, if you'd like on the screen or, or in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature or form God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature or form of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Tonight we're going to focus our attention on, on verse 8 in particular. So let me just read verse 8 again. Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, it's interesting because the, the, the whole idea of the cross is captured as a symbol in a lot of ways. You know, people have them around their necks on little chains and see them in car windows and things like that. But symbols are reality. Symbols express the heart of what a company is about. You know, when you, when you think of symbols like, I think of uh, Nike, the, the swoosh. Mm -hmm. Or when we think of World War II and the Nazis, you think of the swastika. What are some of the other, what are the symbols you think of? I also think of the golden arches. I, I just thought I'd throw that out. You missed dinner tonight. Yeah, well, yeah, that's why you you're know, thinking no, of no, that. I had some tremendous chicken McNuggets that were homemade. Not McNuggets, see, it's on oh, your mind. Oh, there you go. <laughs> just chicken nuggets, homemade. Yeah. You know, I think of uh, Apple, uh, you know, uh, Mac. The, the apple with a bite out of it, it, that's, you know, the original idea kind of at the heart of it was the idea of knowledge. This is, this is something to pursue, you know, knowledge with. Um, I think of, you know, even different philosophies, you know, within, within Buddhism, uh, the lotus flower, you've seen that sometimes you'll see the Buddha sitting in the center of an open flower, but this, this flower is used because it's like a wheel shape and, and the center of, of their idea is, is the idea of birth and rebirth. So those are some different Examples. Kind of what you think of when you when I say a pink ribbon. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody associates that with breast cancer awareness, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or or the Nazi swastika. Yeah. Right. yeah. Racial uh, bigotry. I mean, there's you know all the all the great uh, ideas, philosophies, religions. I mean, I mean, what do you think of? You see a a crescent moon. What do you think of? Islam. Islam, mm -hmm. right? Now that that idea, sovereignty is the key idea attached to the crescent moon, and that could, it predates Islam. Um, but philosophies and ideas always have this idea of, uh, you see, um, uh, you know, the Star of David, 
right? It reminds the thinker of God's made a covenant, right? Power, the kingship, um, you know, the anointed one. So symbols always seem to have these, the core idea of the philosophy seems to be somehow represented in that symbol, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, we were talking earlier this week about the idea of Christianity, of all things, picks a, a cross. Now, historically, that's, I mean, that's less odd to us, right? Yeah, except that in, in our culture, the cross doesn't have the same impact okay. that it would have uh, in, in Paul's day because we don't see them. I mean, we see them on top of churches, but in, right. in their day, you know, in, they would see them outside of town on the hillside. So, you know, here is, the, the, here is Paul who's, who's saying, you know, there's power in the cross. When you read 1 Corinthians 1, He's speaking to the church at Corinth. This is a this is a party town. This is a town where you got, uh, you know, temples on the hillside, and the priestesses come down into the town at night, and they're acting prostitutes and or working prostitutes and all of that. And he's saying, if you want to have power, if you want to have life, you think this is life, go to the cross. Well, these people are looking at the cross, and there are half-eaten bodies, you know, mm -hmm. buzzards perched on the cross beams, picking away at the flesh, and you know it. We, we don't have that equivalent when I see a cross today. You know, somebody's, oh, it's a lovely necklace. Yeah, it doesn't have this. I think Gordon Fee, our, our friend, w would say, if you want to have this associated with the symbol, the cross, what about its equivalent today? What about, and it's really not an equivalent. We'll talk about that in a bit. But how about a gas chamber? What if we just, mm. when, you, when you went out, if we just gave you a little necklace or a little pin that could be a gas chamber and you could just on the window you put on the window or wear it in your lapel and when you go to work they'll say well what 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 is that you say well that's a symbol of my faith it's a gas chamber yeah. you'll have a very interesting discussion <laughs> i guarantee it i'm i'm just saying that gives you this where you don't have that today because yeah. the cross doesn't have that meaning in yeah. our culture we sing about it i mean we sing songs about the cross it's it's, it's a cornerstone to our faith, what what is it about the cross? And I think that's what we're going to talk about tonight. That, that I mean, the old rugged. I will cherish yeah. the old. I mean, it doesn't right. make any sense. I will cherish an electric chair, an instrument of execution. But the cross is a centerpiece for our faith. Yeah, I always remember uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you will know her. She's a, she's a paraplegic. Has been in a wheelchair since she was, I think, 18 years old and um, has had a very difficult and rough life because of this. And she's bound to it. And she's, you know, I've always viewed this wheelchair as this, you know, it does give me freedom, but it's a picture of my limitation. And I remember her one time, she came to the college that I was at down in Phoenix, and she spoke in a, like a chapel auditorium. And she said this, she was talking about this idea of the cross and, and just the absurdity of, of choosing that. She said that would be like me having, she kind of used a similar analogy, a, a little golden wheelchair around my, it's a picture of weakness. And you think even for the Jew, in their history, you know, Jesus and all his followers, all these guys talking about the cross, these are Jews. You go back in their history, you know, for, about the year that Jesus was born, about, about 4 BC, um, one, one general came through and uh, historians tell us took 2,000 Jews who they viewed as insurrectionists, people going against Rome, crucified one day 2,000 Jews. Of course, in 70 AD, which you talked about a few weeks ago on a, on a weekend, we're told that they actually ran out of crosses for, because there were that many people crucified when Rome came through and they just obliterated the city. This isn't, I mean, this is a well-known symbol, but it's a symbol of oppression, of weakness, of surrender, of giving up. 
of, of forced obedience in a lot of ways, isn't it? Well, and, and, and when you hear Paul again in 1 Corinthians 1, when he, when he talks about it being a stumbling block, yeah. he says it's a stupid thing. The cross is a stupid thing, foolishness. We, that's a little softer. But he's saying this, this is crazy. Yeah. Stupidity to the Greeks, scandal, something you fall over to Jews. And it becomes this, this thing of death, becomes a thing of life. And, and anyway, it, it's, it, it boggles your mind. It's hard to get your mind around. So that. it obviously is not the instrument in and of itself. It's the one who hung on that cross and the significance of that. Yeah. And what we're doing in this series, each week, like, I, like we were saying, we're, we're looking at a different component part of the Christ story and using this lens to say, okay, um, because there's a statement made before it goes into the Christ story here in Philippians, and he says, let, let the same mind or mindset that was in Christ be in you. And, and so we're taking this apart to say, okay, last week we were talking about you know, the, the incarnation. Okay, what is that, you know, the reality of a mindset that led someone to be incarnate, the step down and this, you know, this whole thing. What's involved? How does that impact how I live? Because remember Romans chapter 12 identifies the, the catalytic piece for spiritual growth is, it uses this phrase, renewal of, of the mind, right? And so tonight what we want to do is look at, so let's, again, kind of read verse 8 and look at this, this idea. This is the crucifixion piece. And being found in appearance, it's speaking of the man Jesus, the incarnate Christ, and being found in human appearance as a man, he, and here's kind of the first key word, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I remember when I was in uh, college, uh, my, my senior year, I took my first philosophy class, which I, was, I, I loved. It was an ethics course. And we did kind of a survey of ethical theories and looked at you know, Plato and Socrates and all these guys. And, and uh, Aristotle was this one guy that we landed on and, and spent a decent amount of time on, on him because, see, Aristotle was the teacher, the tutor, of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great is the guy who brought Greek language to this location. That's why the Bible, the New Testament is written in Greek. He brought culture, he brought worldview, all these sorts of, so this guy's ideas shaped the leaders, this philosopher shaped leaders, which shaped the world that Jesus sprung up in and his followers sprung up in. And one thing that's interesting is, you know, philosophers always talk about what's, what's the, what's the, point of life, What's, you know, what, does it, what does a hero look like? And throughout all the ancient thinkers, you're going to find things like, you know, courage, you know, that's one thing that a, that a hero is going to have or a, you, know, you should have, or self-mastery. The one thing you will never, ever find in the pagan writers is this word in this verse, in verse 8, humility, right? This is something that it, it's pretty unique. Uh, in the ancient world for sure and we live in a world which has received this you know we talk about humility now kind of understanding oh yeah that's a virtue that's something we should be this is a totally Jesus idea hmm. this is totally foreign in the ancient world um, there's this one idea let me let me write a few things on the on the board here if you were to go back to the ancient world and and think about class structure you know systems caste systems you would have You would have at the top senators, okay? Well, at least right underneath the Caesar. And, and the senators would be the guys who would, who would run things, you know, underneath the Caesar, underneath the king. Um, the group underneath that 
would be, they were called the equestrians. The equestrians would be the ones who, at least historically, had enough money to, to own, own a horse, you know, and which is, of course, used as a mode of transportation. Can you imagine a world in which a transportation was a mode of status? It's kind of, we probably can't imagine that. <laughs> can't very fathom, no. Um, <laughs> Third group underneath that were called the decurions. Now, Decurians were the ones who, who had enough status, enough money, typically. They, they held government offices. They would hold priestly offices in some way. Now, this group right here made up about, supposed to be a two, made up about 2% of the population. Okay? This was the first class. These were the people who, who, who had everything. And even in each one of these groups, there were multi-level, multi-layers of status yeah symbols and all that sort of thing, right? Now, th then there was what, what one hi Roman historian named Tacitus called the rabble, okay? the nobodies, everybody else. This would have been, of course, the, you know, the other 98%. You had citizens, okay? These would have been people who, while not necessarily having huge status, because they're citizens, they have certain rights within the Roman government. Remember, there's a, isn't there an account where Paul kind yeah. of appeals to his Calls citizenship? Calls on his citizenship. But he's a nobody. But that's 98%, right? Not 90%. Oh, you're such a detailed person, folks. Yeah, well. <laughs> All right. You're good in math, too. Yeah, yeah. I was testing you. Yeah. So you've got citizens. Um, you also have what's called freedmen. Freedmen would be the step right above the very bottom of the rung. The very, very bottom. These would be slaves. Slaves had zero rights in this culture. And, you know, as you, as you think about these different groups, now the slaves, you know, their conditions would, be, would vary, but everything was based on the patrofamilia, the, the, the father, the man of the house, your whole life was in subjection and obedience to the man of the house. And then each one of these groups, there's different levels of, if you had this, what you could do and what you couldn't do as well. And right? weren't, weren't you saying that freedmen could wear sandals and slaves wore no shoes? Yeah. Stuff like that. Freedmen, if they had, they could have what's called a freedman's hat. You know, they could wear sandals. Yeah, slave, you, know, you can't do sandals. So, you know, even, even in the below groups. And what's so interesting is even these lower groups, the citizens and the freedmen and the slaves, they would in a way almost imitate the 2%, they would start their own groups, you know, their own clubs. And, um, you know, if, if you're not the quarterback of the football team, you can at least be the president of the chess club, you know, kind of thing. There you, know, you, go. you, know, you, know, you can be the alpha dog somewhere. Um, and so here, here's the big idea. All of culture, okay, all of culture, all of life, and this is in the midst of this, we have this radical idea that shattered the world was about status, was about self-promotion, right? Um, this, is, this is the world in which all of a sudden we hear these new ideas that Jesus is talking about here. It's, it's just as countercultural today, I think, in our world. I, I mean, it looks a little different probably, but I, I was on a flight not too long ago, and they, nowadays, I don't know if you know, if you travel at all, the flights are like always full, yeah. like jam-packed yeah. full. Right. But I happened to get on this flight that was like half full on one of those smaller little planes that has, you know, two seats on each side. And 
And so there's, it's a, it's a smaller plane, so I don't know how many were on the plane, but it's half full, and I'm sitting right next to a guy. You know, they put seats right next to each other. And so I asked the person, I says, okay, if I just move one row up in front of me. And the guy goes, I'm sorry, that's, that's a different class. <laughs> there wasn't even like a curtain or anything. It was, yeah. it was just, I think it had that much more leg room. Yeah. And, but it was like, uh, I'm a two percenter. It, it's like, wow. That's a different class. He said you can move backwards, but you can't move forwards. You know, but, but, but it's interesting because that's, that's a feeling. And, and I've, I've flown enough that I have this particular level. And once in a while, you get bumped up. And it's... You're one of those guys. Yeah. And, it, and it's cool. Let's it's get cool. It's cool to get bumped up, but I f- always feel like I have to explain to the person who paid three times as much, uh, I, I got bumped up. And, and they'll say, I thought so. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I flew. But, but it's fun to sit there for all those guys going oh, back yeah, in steerage where we usually go. And, you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Don't bother me while I eat my steak. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. Even one, one airline. I don't want to even say the airline, but I think it was that, this particular flight that I was on. They have, they have two separate, they have like a divider as to when you walk to the jetway. Oh, yeah. And, and one side has a red carpet. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. the stupidest thing I've ever I, seen in my life. I, it all goes to the same about? place. <laughs> I love and, the red now carpet. Now, if I got those perks, I would think it was cool, but it just looks dumb to me. <laughs> yeah. And this is what's so interesting is... Did we get off track? Are you glad we're back? <laughs> Just, yeah, come back, guys. Come on. Stop talking about McDonald's and airplanes here. We, but, no, I mean, this is, this is a reality. We live in a world, and none of us know it as well in our own world. We see it. We look at this, and oh, how goofy is not that odd? Another culture look at us, and I can't believe they do this and do that. But we reinforce status, and I think it's, I think it's, the, I think it's human nature based on Genesis 3 in this sin core at the at our heart self-promotion i mean that's really what went on in genesis 3 right not you god me i want to sit on the throne i want to decide what's right and wrong self-promotion and we see that worked out in culture we see this layering you know the clothes you wear the rings you wear how you lord it over people this is normal and so what's so crazy is when you know jesus comes along remember in mark chapter 10 Jesus says this radical thing. Now, think about this. And this is a multi-layered thing. I wish we could see all the details in this. But Jesus comes along in Mark 10, and he says, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people? And officials flaunt their authority over those under them? You remember that? He says, but not so with you. I mean, Jesus is like inverting things, turning things on their head. And constantly interacting with, I mean, even his own disciples, the followers of Jesus. You remember James and John, remember their request to him? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Can, you know, one on your right. right and the left, yeah. Yeah. It, this is inborn. It's this, it's this problem of the sinful nature of self-promotion. Mm-hmm. And so a question, you know, you want to ask is, you know, how should this, because th- this is our filter, how should this change our minds that but let us have the same mind in us that was in Christ who didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Yeah. You, you know, when I, I think about that, it, it, it ties, even the example of Jesus, it is humility and service are tied together. And I think the two go hand in hand, this idea of servanthood and humility. 
um, a book I read years ago, highly recommend. It's a classic book uh, by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Disciplines. And in that book, he talks about the difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. Because when I choose to serve, then I choose what I'll do and what I won't do and what tasks are beneath me when it's convenient for me and when it's not. If I choose to be a servant, then there's no such thing as a task that is beneath me. Because it's actually, it's actually inherent to my nature. Mm. I, I serve because there's a need, not, not because it may bring attention. You know, our service can actually be born out of pride. Sure. But when I choose to be a servant, and one of the, one of the texts that always just kind of grabs me in, in John chapter 13, when, when they gather together for this meal, and it says that, that Jesus, you know, knowing who he was, where he had come from, where he was going, says, now he showed the full extent of his love, and, and he took a towel, and he wrapped it around his waist, and he went to the disciples one by one, and he did, he did the duty of the lowest servant to wash the dust off of their feet. And as I think about, one of the things that Richard Foster, if I remember right, it's been a long time since I read that book, but one of the things that he talks about is that when you become a servant, when you really become a servant, it, you really can't be taken advantage of. It, that's, that's impossible. And it, you lay down your rights when mm. you become a servant. That, that really goes against the culture in which we live. But you look at Jesus going around that circle, washing the feet of his disciples. When, when he gets to Peter, knowing what Peter's going to do, and Jesus tells Peter what he's going to do, mm-hmm. that, that this guy who for three-ish years has been one of his best friends, is going to deny that he even knows him. I read that and I think Jesus has every right to just skip Peter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, it's like he has a right to say, wash your own feet. If you've ever seen a fisherman's feet that are all scarred with gill cuts, yeah. and I'd skip them. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, and, and Peter's not the only one in that circle. Yeah. Judas is in yeah. that circle. Yeah. He has every right to punch Judas in the mouth. See, I, mean, see, I, 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 I think that, that act in itself is a precursor to the cross. Yeah. It is so jarring in their culture to have the leader do that, yeah. that it, in, in and of itself, that's a statement. It, and it's interesting, Paul in Romans 12, when he says, and, and we quote Romans 12, let this... Uh, um, Renewing in your mind. Yeah, I'll quote it here in just a second. As soon as, <laughs> as, soon as I can remember it, we get, I appeal therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice. We read those. But the third verse says, for, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to him. This idea of humility, meaning that I am so secure in who I am, that I see myself not as higher than I should, nor as lower, nor lower than I should, yeah. because either way is sort of an affront to what God has designed us for. Yeah. He wants us to be in him, to be secure in him. And when I am that, whether I'm washing feet or giving you breakfast on the beach or hanging on a cross or riding in to Jerusalem to the cheers of people, it makes no difference. Yeah. See, I love, I love that because humility is one of those things that it, it, it doesn't seem like you can try to do it. It seems like trying to do it you become proud of your humility. So, but, but if it's not so much the doing and more of having a right assessment 
of who I am, influenced by what who God says I am, that, that becomes something that I can live in and, and the actions will flow out of that right understanding. And there's, there's a certain sense in that, I think, that I don't insist on my rights, but I absolutely insist on yours. Mm. And, and there's, there's something about that yeah. that is powerful. It's, it's almost like humility is something that has to be said of you yeah. rather than you saying it of yourself. Yeah. Boy, think about, I mean, I just think about that in the context of, of marriage. How, how does it change your marriage if you live that way? That's going to affect the way you love your spouse. I, you know, what? I, I, it makes me think of, uh, I think it was, was it Henry Cloud who talks about um, the difference between a wise person and a foolish person is the way they respond to truth. And a wise person, when truth comes, they adjust themselves to the truth. A foolish person, when truth comes to you, you try to adjust the truth to yourself. Mm. And, and that it, the key, to, I think, in that is humility. If I live in humility, when truth comes to me, my response is I need to adjust myself to that truth. Mm. That's great. I think that's why. I think that's why pride is the greatest evil. Because if pride is the inverse of humility, the other side of the coin, and pride says life adjusts to me, I'm at the center. That, I mean, pride is going to be the one stopper to ha having relationships that are meaningful in your life, yeah. surrendering to God. I mean. I love what one author said. He said, pride is the, you can have any sin in the world and still repent and follow God except one, pride. Because mm. mm. repenting is the opposite of pride. Ah, that's, that's the true. thing I'll make you. So, so what do you think it means to be obedient to death? Yeah. Well, that's what he says in verse 8. I know. I mean, that's where he finishes off. He says, are, are you trying to be smart with me? No, I'm just. <laughs> it sounded like it. Just looked at the clock and thought we should All move. Right. All right. <laughs> Oh, folks. It's good to be back together, boy. Uh, yeah, we're not doing you, this next You've missed week. us, haven't you? No, just a little. Just a little. <laughs> Verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and then this is where you were going, <laughs> by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think, I think the piece that, that uh, has for some years spoken to me about this verse or the idea is the verb to obey in both the Old and New Testament means comes from the root verb to hear. So literally, <laughs> when, when it says that he obeyed all the way to the cross, that he's heard the Father, whether it's the mission or the appeal or the, or the, the weeping or the cry to reconcile the world, he hears him all the way to the to the cross, and, and it's interesting, you know, because when I was a kid, my mother would be in the other room, and she'd say something like, Dick, did you hear me? And clearly what had happened is that she'd given me an instruction, something I was to obey, and I didn't respond right away, and I know it's hard for you guys to believe, but I, I, just, didn't, I just didn't respond, and so being a mother, instead of just rebuking me, she, she gave me the benefit of the doubt, thinking I had a hearing impediment, and said, did you hear me? But when she said that, she was saying the core idea, yeah. that, that when I hear clearly, I respond in trust. Those two things are linked, yeah. hearing, obedience, trust. And, you know, it's, it speaks of Abraham in, in, in Hebrews 11. We were talking about the people in obedience. Say, yeah. say that again, what you were saying when you were studying. Well, you know, 
if you look at if you look at kind of the big story of scripture and you just there does seem to be this this golden thread of obedience throughout scripture i mean the first and we mentioned this a couple minutes ago the very first fall the first error that that shattered everything adam and eve i mean it's it's disobedience kind of seems to be at the core there you've got these guys the you know the noahs or whatever who they're called to do something and the hard part is obeying because it's 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 awkward it's difficult it's costly uh abraham i mean all throughout scripture there's this call be obedient to me and there's this tension this challenge it's almost like everything kind of stands and falls in individuals lives on am i going to be obedient to god in this really small thing or even in this big thing mm-hmm. and and jesus seems even seems to say something along the lines remember he says those who will be faithful and little means who have been obedient will be given much will be put over much will, will will be trusted more because i know obedience is something that isn't chosen today mm-hmm. you know i didn't have you i'm going to be obedient obedience is like any other virtue that it's it's honed it's developed it's it's built layer upon upon layer i think no uh, you know i was having lunch today with a fellow who's been through some stuff and the lord's used him in a lot of ways but he's been through some stuff and he said i used to think that that if you obeyed that that what follows on obedience is blessing Mm. that if you're obedient you are blessed and he said i've changed my mind he said, what obedience does, it doesn't lead to blessing. It leads to passionate living and adventure. Hmm. And I said, can I quote you? Because yeah. I, I really see that, yeah. that. That when I hear God and I respond to him, there is living that's full-throated, full-orbed, whatever full you want to use. Some Complete living and, and great adventure in that. Yeah. You know, uh, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus also said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so I think one of the, maybe the greatest way we demonstrate our love for God is not the song that we sing, though that's a way to express worship. It's the living out of obedience. And Mm -hmm. that's our demonstration. We're we're, we're getting close uh, to running out of time here. He says he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mm -hmm. We talked about this idea of the cross earlier on as we kind of began this conversation, but the cross, the cross was a, a, a tool of execution reserved for insurrectionists, those who would lead an insurrection against Rome, and, and for the worst of slaves. And, and here's the irony of all of it. The only fully, completely obedient person to ever live died the death of a disobedient slave. And the amazing thing is, he did it out of obedience to the Father for you and for me. That's what Jesus did. 